our scriptures from Psalm 107, 1 to 16. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. This is the word of the Lord. You pray with me. Father, we are grateful. We're grateful for your word. We pray that as we approach your word this morning, you would teach us to love it and through it to love you better. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I think it's inevitable that when we read scripture, we read it through the lens of our experience, right? So when I read about Jesus calming a storm, my mind goes to big storms that I've experienced. You know, the storm in Michigan when my family was camping. And when we hear about Jesus, or I'm sorry, God our Father in heaven, we read that and we hear that through the lens of our own earthly fathers and whether they were good or or bad. Now there's ways we mitigate against that. You know, we read with the church corporately through the ages, across, you know, the world, Uh, But we read and we hear God's word through the lens of our own experience. And that's true of me when I hear this psalm that calls us to give thanks. I read that through the lens, through my experience as someone who really likes to be appreciated. Who likes to be thanked. I'm sure we all do. But I go out of my way to make sure I get thanks. So I might say to my wife, hey, did you notice I did the dishwasher tonight? And I know she's thinking, I did it the last six nights, but yes, thank you. Did you notice I I did the laundry and carried it up the stairs? And she's thinking, I've done 85 loads of laundry and you didn't thank me for any of them, but yes, thank you. Uh, When I read in the Psalms these calls to give thanks, I read it through that lens And I say to myself, oh, God wants to be recognized. He wants to be appreciated for what he has done. And that is absolutely true. And he deserves our gratitude. But there's more than that. There's more. God wants us to give thanks because he knows that thanks, thanksgiving, is good for us. Gratitude is good for us. 
There's plenty of studies that show that to be true. This week I read in Harvard Health an article from August of 2021. Its conclusion was that gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Our own Joel Wong co-authored an article in 2017 summarizing some of his research uh, among people who are seeking mental health experts' help in, in overcoming depression or anxiety. And their conclusion was that studies show gratitude changes your brain. Simply expressing gratitude has lasting effects on the brain, including unshackling your thoughts from toxic emotions. Being grateful is good for you mentally, emotionally, physically, and certainly spiritually. So when we look at Psalm 107 in, in this call to give thanks, don't hear it just as a command from our divine king. Hear it also as a prescription from our heavenly physician. Give thanks, for it's good for you. The prescription is clear. Give thanks. But as we look at Psalm 107, I want to highlight four insights that, that this psalm gives us into gratitude. Four insights. The first two come for the first couple verses. So I just want to read verses 1 to 3 again. The psalmist says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hands of the foe. Those he gathered from the lands from the east and west. From north and south. Uh, the first thing that I see in this psalm, this insight into gratitude, is that God desires all people to give thanks. But especially his redeemed. There is a general duty for all men to give thanks to God because we have all tasted something of the goodness of the common grace of God. God makes the sun to shine on the righteous and the wicked. He makes the rain to fall and water the crops of the righteous and the wicked. We all experience something of God's goodness and so it is our duty to give thanks to God. Matter of fact, Romans 1 mentions that one of the great failings of mankind is that though his invisible qualities can be seen in the created order, mankind refused to acknowledge God and give him thanks. So thanksgiving is the duty of all mankind, all humanity, but even more especially those whom he has redeemed. Because he has redeemed us, he's purchased us, he's bought us, he's made us his own. Because we're his people, he's done more for us. He expects more of us, and he cares more deeply for us. And so this call to give thanks is especially binding on us, his people. We understand that intuitively, right? Uh, as a parent, you know, if I see another kid brushing their teeth with Mountain Dew, I might think, you know what, I'm glad I don't pay that dentist bill, but I'm probably not going to say something. But if it's my kid, I'm going to pull him aside and say, what is your major malfunction? What are you doing? 
I hold my kids to a higher standard. I care more deeply for them. God does for us. You're mine. I have redeemed you from the hands of your enemies. Now when Israel gathered and, and sang this psalm, their minds would certainly go to how God had redeemed them and brought them out of Egypt and from slavery under Pharaoh, or how God had brought them and given them uh, their enemies, the Philistines and the Amorites and the Jebus, all those lists of ites, you know, over to them and freed them from oppression from them or the Assyrians. There's a long list of people who were foes to the Israelites. And God had delivered them from their enemies, from their foes. And he has us also. Those literal peoples that Israel warred with are meant to point us to the spiritual foes that God has delivered us from. Sin, Satan, death. God has redeemed us from the hands of our foe. And he's gathered from all points, east, west, north, south, people together to be his people. He gathered Israel back from the exile and brought them together again. And he's gathered us, the church, literally from every peoples of the world. Even in this building, there's people from China and Singapore and Korea and Africa and South America and India and Europe. And we all come together as now a newly constituted people of God. We give thanks. God has done so much for us. But there's something else in those first verses to notice. We give thanks. Our gratitude is grounded in who God is. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Now, if you're like me, good does not sound like incredibly high praise. I tend in my vocabulary to use good almost as a synonym for fine. You know, how was dinner tonight? It was fine. It was good. The next question I'm going to be asked is, well, what was wrong with it? Right? Because good and fine aren't high superlative praise. What do we mean when we say God is good? Louis Burkhoff, theologian from the 20th century, said, in our aspiration of goodness to God, the fundamental idea is that he is in every way all that he, as God, should be. He's highlighting the absolute perfection of God in that word good. He's echoing St. Augustine from 1,500 years prior. The highest good, there is no higher, is God. No good things, whether great or small, can exist apart from God. Or the Puritan, Thomas Manton, he is originally good, good of himself. Nothing else is good of themselves. He is essentially, in his essence, good. Not only good, but goodness itself. See, we use the word good to describe God. But even more importantly, God defines good. 
not us. We don't define good. We're t- we, we tend to think of good and define good by what makes us feel good. Warm and fuzzy inside. We've been infected by Hallmark movies that give us warm hearts but soft heads. Yeah, I said it. But that doesn't define goodness. God does. Arthur Pink. God has in himself an infinite and inexhaustible treasure of all blessedness, enough to fill all things. In other words, God is good, and anything else that you see is good, it's because God bestowed goodness on it. It is an overflow of his goodness that makes other things good. He is the fount of every blessing that can make things good without detracting from his goodness even one iota. He is an undepletable, if that's a word, fount of goodness. One last quote, because this one's so good. It's A.W. Tozier. Talking about God's goodness. It means by his nature, he is inclined to bestow blessedness. And he takes holy pleasure in the happiness of his people. God is good. He defines good. He makes all things that are good, good. One of the ways that his goodness works out into our life is through his steadfast love, or his covenantal love, or his faithful love. God has bound himself to us as his people And despite our failings, despite our shortcomings, despite our turning our backs on God, he is faithful in his love. His steadfast love. His steadfast love and his goodness, those are qualities about God that never change. That is incredibly important. Because if your gratitude is tied to your circumstances, it will always be in flux. It will depend, kind of like when you pull a chance card in the game of Monopoly. Oh, today I won a beauty pageant in $200. I'm happy and grateful. Oh, pulled another card. Go to jail, do not collect $200. I'm sad and unhappy and ungrateful. If your gratitude is tied to your circumstances, it will always be ebbing and flowing. But if your gratitude is connected to the character of God, you will always have reasons to be thankful. Because he is always good and is always true to his steadfast love. That was the second thing. The third insight... We thank God not only for who he is, but also for what he has done. God isn't insulated in an ivory tower, just up there being good. His goodness spills out into our world, into time and space on our behalf. He shows his goodness by doing wondrous works. Verses 4 through 32 Four stanzas. Each one of the stanzas 
highlights one wonderful work of God on behalf of his people. Each one of those stanzas is is a word picture about how God has done marvelous things that we ought to be grateful for. And each one of them begins with the word, some. Some were wandering in a desert. They had no city, they were hungry, they were thirsty. And then they cried out to God. And God brings them to a city that they can live in. And satisfies all their longings and they give him thanks. Thanks be to God for his wondrous works on behalf of mankind. Some were in darkness, in prison, in chains of iron, oppressed, subjugated. And they cried out to God and he set them free. And now, thanks be to God who cuts bars of irons and frees the prisoner. Some suffered affliction and loathed all food and were near the point of death. And they cried out to God and he healed them. Thanks be to God. Let them come and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Some were merchants and ships and they set out at sea. And a storm came. And they were tempest-tossed up and down, and they stumbled around in this storm as though drunk. And they called out to God, and God stilled the storm and brought them safely to harbor. Let them give thanks in the assembly. Thanks be to the Lord who does wondrous works. Those four stanzas, some of them, most of them, find direct parallel in the history of Israel. You can point and say, this one probably is a reference to the Exodus, when God brought them out and they wandered in the the wilderness for years, and God provided them food and drink, water from a rock and manna and quail. He satisfied them. Uh, They were in bondage and subject to Babylon and Assyria, and they were oppressed, and God freed them. Uh, There was many times in Israel's history where God sent a plague upon them, as punishment for their apostasy. And when they would cry out in repentance, God would heal and bring restoration. The fourth one, they were at sea, finds no direct parallel. Israel was not a seagoing merchant people. That, combined with the relative vagueness of each one of these stanzas, is meant to make it applicable to all of us. Maybe not at the physical, literal level, but at the spiritual level. We've all wandered and been lost. We've all been subjected and oppressed by sin. We all need God's deliverance. We're meant to see ourselves in in this cycle of peril, and crying out to God and and being delivered, and then in giving thanks. Thanks be to God for what he has done for us, his people. There's a couple other important details in that section. First notice that for some of the people who were in peril, it was due to their own sin and rebellion. Those who were subjected to bondage, put in prison, in iron chains, it was because 
they had rebelled against God and had not submitted to his plans. Those who were suffering from this wasting disease, it's because they had hardened their hearts against God. But in two of the situations, there is no indication at all that the peril that they're suffering is because of God's punishment. Those who were at sea just experienced a storm. Those who were wandering in the desert were just, by way of life's circumstances, in a desert. The psalmist, I think, is trying to show us that no matter what the cause, your own sin or something else, if you're in distress, call out to God and he will deliver. Something else very important in this passage and several of these circumstances it's God who sends the peril he subjected them it says he subjected them in verse 12 to bitter labor it was punishment for their sin and he's the one that brought the peril in verse 25 those who were at sea It's God who sends the tempest. In verses 33 to 42, God makes this point even more abundantly clear through the psalmist. He says, I'm the one who takes flowing streams and rivers and turns it into desert wasteland. I'm also the one who takes a desert wasteland and makes it fertile and flowing with streams. I give the increase. I help numbers and prosperity increase. And I subject to decrease. I'm sovereign in all of this. I send the peril and the deliverance. And both are an outworking of God's goodness and his steadfast love. How can that be? Why would God, out of love, send peril, send harm, send trial? Well, each one of us as a parent has sent our kids to get a measles, mumps, and rubella shot. They didn't like it, but we knew that's better than measles, mumps, and rubella. Each one of us was subjected by our own parents to what? Probably a smallpox vaccine, right? Because we knew that the pain of that was far better than the pain of smallpox. The first time my oldest son Caleb ever said daddy was when we were in the hospital and I am holding him down so that the nurse can put an IV in his arm. He he looks up and he's like, daddy. And I'm like, oh, why are you letting them do that? I mean, he didn't use all those words, but that's what the face said. Why are you letting him do this to me? It was an outworking of my goodness and my love for my son. He needed to be hydrated. And it was a painful process. God sends the peril and the deliverance as an outworking of his goodness and his steadfast love. That brings us to the fourth point. The fourth insight about gratitude. Communal celebration of thanksgiving is important in the life of God's family. 
Communal celebration of gratitude, offering of thanksgiving is important in the life of God's family. In verses 22 and 23, God has has delivered and they're instructed to bring a sacrifice of thanksgiving. That's not something you did in your backyard. You brought your sacrifice to the temple, gave it to the priests, and they, together with God's people, offered this sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. And it says, and they, you're to sing songs of joy, recounting the story of what God has done. Verse 23 And then in verse 32, that point is made even more explicit. You're to come and extol God, sing his praises, give thanks among the congregation of his people. The word there that is translated congregation is the same word in the New Testament that is translated church. Bring your thanks to church. Give thanks with the people of God in community. Let the I Let the me of your thanksgiving give way to the us and the we. This is what God has done for us. This is what God has done as as we are delivered by his hand. It is so good to be assembling together again. I, I hope we never take that for granted ever again. It's so good to be together and to Hear the amens. Affirmation that what has been said is true. In the first service, I got to see out of the corner of my eye uh, a young girl who was dancing as we sang songs. That's good. It's good to be reminded of kind of the exuberance and the joy that ought to qualify our praise. I also got to hear hearing aids ring. A A wonderful reminder that we're frail. And we can thank God even in the midst of our frailty. I've seen people, and I'm sure you have too, who've offended me in the past. And I'm able to be reminded that God's grace that covers my sin also covers this offense. And together we give thanks. And the people that were sitting around me this morning heard someone sing loudly and joyfully but way off key. And it's a reminder that it's not the quality of our gifts that matters at all. We give thanks together corporately. The we, the us, it's so important for the people of God. But it doesn't erase the personalness of it. The I isn't lost. There's an expectation that those who are singing this psalm would be singing about the things that God did for them. Not just their grandparents. Not just their great-grandparents. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story about how God has done this for them. So we can each add I was lost and wandering, but now I'm found. I was in chains and bondage to my sin, but now I've been set free. I I was sin sick and dead, but now I've been healed and restored to newness of 
life. I was tossed about by the sea, but God has brought me safely through. Thanks be to God, for he is good. His love never fails. They say, well, that's not me. I don't have that kind of a story. Let me tell you what I know to be true. Apart from Christ, we are lost. We are wandering. Apart from Christ, we are dead in sin and transgression. Apart from Christ, we are in bondage to sin. Apart from Christ, we are tossed about by the trials of this world with no anchor. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to free us from bondage, to heal us and give us new life, to guide us, to free us, heal us, deliver us, and rescue us. If that's not your story, it's because you haven't cried out. Save me. Save me. Anyone who cries out to the Lord, save me. They will be delivered. They will be delivered by the one who came to destroy sin and death and the grave and to be our anchor. And we can thank God for that deliverance. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for all that you have done. Our lungs will certainly run out of breath before we have given full voice to our gratitude. Before we've recounted all that you have done for us through your creation, through the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, through the calling us to be your body, and through the hope that you've given us in eternity. Father, we pray that you would help us to maintain that attitude of of thanksgiving despite our circumstances. Help us to ground our gratitude deeply in the God that you are and help us to look forward to an eternity where we can sing those songs of thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.